0: Welcome to the Keswick Convention Podcast. I am one of your hosts, I'm Rachel Redeemed, and we are joined by our other co-host, James Carey. Hello, Jam.
1: Hello, Rachel. How are you doing?
0: I am grateful that we're doing a podcast on gratefulness, and I'm thankful that I have my eternity sorted, and it's good to have that kind of perspective. So, you know, the subtext is probably not great, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're that thankful bad, huh? for... Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful that my eternal destiny blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, okay, you're having that kind of a week. Well, How
0: about you? I'm good,
1: I'm good. I'm really excited because uh, the guests you got on today are absolutely top quality. So what are we talking about this week, Rachel?
0: We are talking about being grateful for our identity in Christ. And more than just that kind of phrase of it rolling off the tongue, but how, how are we actually grateful for our identity in
1: Christ? Let's have a listen.
0: Glyn, thank you so much for being on the podcast. For those who aren't familiar with you, would you be willing to introduce yourself for us? Yeah,
2: hello, Rachel. Hello, everybody. Um, Glyn Harrison. Um, I'm uh, living in London at the moment, married to Louise, three grown-up children, five grandchildren, um, and I'm a retired uh, psychiatrist. Uh, Before that, I. Before I retired I was an academic psychiatrist in uh, Bristol before moving here
0: and we're hoping to talk about being grateful for identity in Christ today but dialing back I think we should probably pull at the threads of identity there's a lot of talk today about me culture and yeah. its impact yeah. on mental health what should we be thinking about identity before we get to
2: being grateful for it. Yeah, I I mean, it's hard to have a conversation about these kinds of issues, you know, me culture and self-worth without the word identity cropping up sooner or later, uh, usually sooner. Uh, And I'm I'm always surprised at how uh, rarely we get around to defining it. (laughs) And I, I think it's quite important we have a shared understanding of what we mean by the term. Um, I, I really personal identity is the concept we hold of ourselves, our self-concept. Um, we're we're all uh, being human beings, blessed with this capacity for self-awareness. You know, the I stands back from the me and says, "Who is this person? What is this thing?" And we evaluate ourselves. And uh, of course, as as our lives. Um, develop and time passes and events come and go, we begin to put together a, a kind of a, a more complex picture of ourselves as we grow up and some um, events stand out more strongly than others and we weave these events together into a kind of a story. And what I, what, the way I think of personal identity is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves um, and of course, like all good stories, it has a kind of a, a plot line emerges, certain themes begin to stand out, and headlines bubble up to to the top. And the reason it, it's quite important to think about our identity, our, our the story we hold about ourselves, is because the as the script, the plot line of the story develops, it not only responds to events but begins to shape them as well. So, you know, for example, if part of my story is that I have a, a sense um, that our kind of people don't do that kind of thing. That's what my grandmother said to me when I went to be a doctor. Our kind of people, because very working class background, our kind of people don't do that kind of thing. Now that goes into one story and it can become a controlling kind of theme of of one's life and really limit the possibilities and the options so it's it's quite important to be aware of of the story we've developed in into our head because of course one of the amazing things that the christian gospel does is it says well here's another story of which you can be a part and begin to revisit some of those set themes and um descriptions of oneself that, that work so powerfully to shape our lives.
0: Nothing like defining one's terms before embarking on a, a conversation about it.
2: It gets tricky, Rachel, because we often use the term as well to, uh, as, to describe our kind of social identity. In other words, we field bits of ourselves into our social relationships as a kind of a shorthand for who we are so i i I told you that i i 'm a psychiatrist because that 's relevant to what we 're going to be talking about today i didn 't tell you about some, you know members of my family in any detail or you, you know any my health issues at the moment i didn 't talk about any of that because it 's not relevant. but I might tell oh, you yeah, my identity is i 'm a psychiatrist. Uh, what I mean is this, the, the, my identity for the purpose of this social interaction are that I'm a psychiatrist. And of course we feel of our, different bits of ourselves at, at different points in our lives. But underneath that is this thing, this, this deeper level concept we hold of ourselves in which these different bits are, are put together into a story. That's our personal identity.
0: Do you think that's a particularly modern day approach or does this kind of fit congruently with the Bible and is this a good or bad thing?
2: Yeah you know it's a word I, I mean it's not a word that's in the Bible but but the concept um, you, you know the idea of our having a, a, a kind of a view of ourselves um, is very much um, in scripture. I, I, you know Paul talks about his inner life at quite some length um, and uh, he, he urges us to think of ourselves in new and different ways and he doesn't use the language of, of identity but but he's tapping into the same kind of area. Don't Don't let some of those old themes, you know, I am here to live up to other people's expectations or I am here to keep these certain Jewish rules as a way of achieving a sense of dignity and worth and acceptance before God don't you know that is the old story and here's something new is is really at the heart of what Paul is wanting to teach us so it's there it, it, they' just we just don't tend to use the same you know it's not using the same language as we
0: We'll be coming back to that conversation with Glyn, but we're going to jump into another with Karen Sewell. She is the Women's Worker at Trinity Church in Lancaster in the north of England and is a Bible teacher, conference speaker and an author. She's going to be at Keswick as well this year and we're going to be leaving a little bit more space through the episode for more reflection, but We are going to jump into a conversation with her where I asked her what being in Christ means for her.
3: Being in Christ is everything isn't it um you think of that wonderful description of what it means to be in christ from ephesians chapter one and i won't list it all now but certainly um we have every spiritual blessing in him which gives us a confidence a security and freedom i think um in the here and now and it doesn't mean to say that life is always easy um, and and they're every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So yeah, we're not free from struggle and suffering, but we have just a credible future. And being in Christ, uh, therefore it is everything and it is something to rejoice in. I think it's especially um, important as a woman, um, I mean, yeah, everybody battles with identity, but as I was thinking about how it's worked out in my life I was um, reminded of some words that Jermaine Greer, there you go, there's somebody who you wouldn't um, think of bringing up in this sort of conversation, but something that she wrote about the millennial woman and how much time the millennial woman spends. Um, and the words that she she uses, she spends her waking hours trying to discipline the recalcitrant body, um, making up for its inadequacies in shape and size and weight and coloring and hair distribution and muscle tone and so on. And I think the whole point that uh, or I reason why I raise it is because I think so many people are under the pressure to have an outward appearance, um, that that matters so much. Um, there's so much pressure to conform to perfect images of beauty or health or fitness. And well, it's just the, the millennial woman, um, the modern woman is supposed to be able to do absolutely everything. And, and we fail, we, we can't possibly. And yet in Christ, we can have a security and know that we're, we're frail and that we can't do all those things um, because I think we understand God as our creator. Uh, he is infinite and we're finite. I think it gives us a right perspective on this life. Um, I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Ecclesiastes as a wonderful chapter at the end. This world is fleeting. Um, But I think that knowing we're in Christ actually helps us have the right perspective on all of those things um, to put our priorities sort of straight in our heads. And that gives us a a freedom to not be um, trapped by those sorts of pressures. When I was younger, I certainly was a tomboy. I became a christian as um as a child, and but as I grew up, I, I i wanted to be a good Christian woman, but i, I struggled to to fit with what I thought were the, the what it meant to be a proper Christian woman and um, got a bit um overwhelmed and intimidated by by others um who uh, would what did the things that I thought proper Christian women should do. You know, really, know, really brilliant cooking, baking our own bread and um, making our own curtains and knitting and cross-stitch. And all you the know, lots and lots of practical things that I always felt I was never very practical, very good at. And it did take me a while to actually be free from some of those stereotypes and those those images to to realize that actually, no, the identity that does matter is our identity in Christ, which I think is about being a disciple of Christ, putting him first. And then there's a freedom, a freedom from those stereotypes, because they're not biblical stereotypes, they're not biblical, those things, are they? Um, we are called to serve him as the people that we are. And there's lots of different expressions of that. There's this wonderful picture of of the body of Christ and all the different bits, everybody having a different part and and working out what your bit is um, and not trying to pretend that you're you a hand when you're a foot or you know or a little toe or instead of a thumb i you know just being there's a freedom in that and um, being in the body of Christ and knowing that um you can serve in all sorts of different ways as well um, so i I think I've over the years got more and more confident about what it means for me to be a Christian woman um but free of those stereotypes because actually the The thing that really matters is my identity in Christ. And that's about being Christ-like. That's about developing the fruits of the Spirit and and seeking to love as he calls us to love in, in the different situations in which I find myself.
0: It does seem that our identity and how we talk about it in society and culture at the moment seems to be something that we just can't stop talking about. What is it about our identity that makes us obsess over it?
2: In one sense, the, the kind of issues that underneath our identity have always been there. Back in the 80s, there was a mayor of New York called Ed Koch, a colourful character, and he would always greet people, uh, you know, he'd grasp them by the hand and he'd say, Hey, how am I doing? Which, which was a clever sort of um, take on the more usual New York greeting, you know, hey, how are you doing? Uh, but what he was doing was telling us what politicians worry about all of the time, which is, what do you think of me? And, of course, self-esteem research today tells us that we're all doing that in almost every human encounter. How am I doing? What do you think of me? And And that underpins much of this drive to... To ask well, who am I? what kind of a person am i and and what does how does the way other people think about me build into that idea I have of myself and so it 's always been there in fact and and actually way back in plato 's Republic, he has Socrates talking about a third part of the self um, Uh, You know, the first part, intellect, the second, emotions. The third part, Socrates says, is called thumos or thimos. And this is the seat of our desire for recognition. How am I doing? Somebody tell me, you know, on what I base my sense of dignity. So this goes quite Deep and all, always has, um, and even in Jesus' time, you see him having to sort out the disciples arguing among themselves as to who will be the greatest. You know, what do you think of me? How I? Um, well, who's who's gonna who's gonna bubble up to the top in your kingdom, Lord? Um, and so it's always been there. But you're right, Rachel. I agree. I I don't. I, something has shifted in society in recent decades to the extent that we. We're we're now obsessed with this issue, aren't we? And um and uh, you know, I'd absolutely agree with that. Um and I, I guess there are a number of factors that, that play into it.
0: What do you think those are?
2: I say a number of factors. I'd love to be able to say, you know, it's this or it's that, but life is is really like that. Uh, you know, we can give glib answers. I I think you can I think you can spot three strands that go into this chord. Of how we got here today, you know this this bubbling up of this obsession with ourselves, um, and, and one it well three strands: socio-economic, uh, philosoph- philosophical, and psychological. Th- these developments in each of these areas. The socio-economic, if you think about it, uh, a couple of centuries ago, our sense of ourselves was much more stable. Uh, you can think of it a bit like a a river. Um, we uh, you know, we came into the world and culture, society, operated much more like a river. It had a flow to it. You had a sense of where you came from, where you were now and where things were heading to. So, you know, you say, I'm Jim Baker, my dad was a baker, his dad was a baker, and I'm a baker, and we've got a big family business now, and we're known as bakers around here. And I guess I'm going to be doing that for the next 40 years. And people were much more local, and their sense of self was much more stable. Now, of course, with the Industrial Revolution, information technology, all of that's been upended. And our, se- our sense of identity it is, is developed now, not so much in a river with a flow to it, but we're floating in an ocean. And in an ocean, you can go any way you like. And of course, that makes it much, much more difficult to arrive at a settled view of myself to land on a shape to my story, which, which, um, you know, which has some stability about it. And so we're, we're fretting, always fretting, who who am I really? I thought I was that, that seemed fine until yesterday. But today, um, I'm not so sure. Um, and I think that's one factor. Another is is in the field of philosophy, the history of ideas. Um, there've been developments that have shifted us toward what I call the inward turn, turning in on ourselves. Uh, I, I guess the, the person I think is, there are several names we could talk about. The one I know most about because of his problem with with mental illness toward the end of his life, severe mental illness, and his rather odd, peculiar personality was, of course, Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, And the the German philosopher, I think he was born at something like 1844, uh, he was actually the son of of Lutheran pastor, but he soon threw off his Christian background to, to adopt the fashionable atheism of the time, Feuerbach and later Marx and so on. So um, he, he became a very well-known atheist and uh, actually got his first academic chair when he was just age 24. Um, but his his most famous saying perhaps is, uh, God is dead, he remains dead, and we killed him. You see, that, that's one of his most famous sayings. God is dead, he remains dead and we killed him. And what's interesting about that isn't so much that his atheism, I mean, it was quite fashionable amongst cultural uh, uh, intellectual elites at the time, so I'm I'm an atheist. It it wasn't so much that. I, I think what's important for us to grasp is that Nietzsche, perhaps more than anybody else at the time, understood the consequences of atheism and confronted people with with that. Um, you know, in a, in a way, until then, truth and, and the notion of there being an objective truth out there was was grounded in the concept of God. And, and he understood that if you take God out of the equation, there is no objective truth. There is no objective world of goodness and beauty and truth that you can appeal to, to adjudicate between different ideas. There are just ideas and power. And the ideas that make it to the top are those ideas adopted by people who hold the power, you see. Um, And so he he argued that if you want to survive in this world then you must assert your own will, assert your own ideas. Um, In the absence of truth, you define the truth yourself. I assert my will to power. In a world of clashing wills, you know, be your own hero. Um, What was one of his other famous sayings? No one can construct for you the bridge upon which precisely you must cross the stream of life no one but yourself and then he went on uh, become the person you are now sound familiar you know um, <laughs> it dances on our screens every day it's every new musical it's every netflix You. Know, it's the same message that meaning goodness truth somehow has to be found from within the self and the third strand was which is psychology, this, this idea of looking within was given a, a, an even bigger push forward from within psychology about 50 years ago with the emergence of the self-esteem movement. And there we're grappling with the same issue. Um, what am I worth? Um, how, on what or on whom do I base my sense of worth? Hey, how am I doing? Uh, Well, who's going to answer that question for me? And and the self-esteem movement really um, comes up. It's a stroke of genius on the face of it. And that's what made it so successful as a marketable tool. You know, uh, it's simple. But but the stroke of genius was it said, well, you say what you're worth. Um, You define your own worth. It's pure niche in in many ways. But um, it, it... it, the genius of it is that it, it saw that if you base your sense of worth in other people 's approval and other people 's recognition, then you 're on a treadmill because the person who recognizes you today may grow tired of you tomorrow. Uh, the person who you impressed with your achievement today uh, they found somebody else who 's even more impressive tomorrow, so you 're always running you 're always swimming instead. Float it's the kind of boom or bust ego, and self esteem moment quietly recognized uh, rightly recognized that and so said, No, no, you need to base your sense of worth in something that's non contingent, and that's your own will it's the force of your own will i'm worthy i'm special, I attract people to me.' I have deep resources within, inside myself, which tell me I can do it. You know, all of these kind of self-affirming statements. And it sounds great, doesn't it, Rachel? I mean, you know, what not to like? Uh, what did Madonna say? I am my own experiment. I am my own work of art. It's pure genius. And, you know, we want it, don't we? If we want that to be true. So what's the problem? The problem is it's not, it doesn't work. There's lots of evidence now to show that uh, actually people who focus their their inner life around maintaining their sense of self-worth, their sense of worth, uh, actually feel worse, actually feel worse. Because, of course, at the end of the day, it's just your own propaganda. It's just what you're telling yourself. And something inside you says but that 's just you. <laughs> you you who are you, <laughs> you know to tell yourself that who you are nobody what why are you believing this stuff, and so we have to then run faster and harder to convince ourselves we 've got all the dignity and worth that we believe we should have, and so you know we can see why we 're obsessed with this because the when when the only Answer you've got is is more self. That's that's all you can do is more self, more me, you know, and we just keep on running. So I think that's a bit, you know, those three strands have come together to shape our culture in in, in the way we see it today.
0: That's so huge to have a good, cold, hard look at those three strands.
2: You, you kind of wake up, you, you, like 50 years ago, um, you, you would have just said, um, you know, if, if someone said there were no good or I I don't like myself very much, you know, you say, people would often say, don't get stuck in your own problems. Don't don't think about yourself so much. Be a, be a there you are person, not a here I am person. You know, we've almost not noticed the ex- enormous shift there's been Toward now, the same person, I, you know, I don't feel I'm any good, I, I don't like myself. The shift now is you need to believe in yourself more. Stop thinking about other people and, and think about yourself. Now, nobody's saying that 50 years ago that was good news, that, that you, you somehow blanked out all of those bad feelings. That, that was what needed fixing. But we, we came up, we fixed, we, we're trying to fix it with the wrong medicine I think and uh, that's where we are today we're just running swimming the, you know trying to, to keep up what how am I doing how am I doing
3: Our identity in Christ is about discipleship. And it means that identity governs absolutely everything that we do. And all the other identities um, are subservient to it. But when I find myself um, at um, dinner with um, medics, and they ask, What do you do? And you can't quite come up with that succinct answer of I am a teacher, because I just said, I'm a teacher it's kind of misleading because they immediately think you work in in a school rather than teaching people the Bible. Um, So finding a way to describe yourself when you don't fit those stereotypes is a challenge. Um, It's quite a good challenge, though. And there's been times when it's made me feel Gosh, uh, what am I? Um, um, Maybe I don't do anything and maybe I am useless. And that's when you have to stop and say, for goodness sake, (laughs) you're you're taking on board the world's agenda of what's important and what's valuable. As even people who've got those professional titles, they end up retiring and um, losing those professional titles and then often going into a crisis because they don't know who they are anymore. Because we're not our jobs, but we are um, in Christ, you know, sons and daughters of, of God, I should say sons of God, because, because women are sons of God, aren't they? It's a, it's that title of being joint heirs together. And the other area I was thinking about as you asked me this question, um, was the fact that I have an identity in Christ, I think has actually enabled me to dare to do some of the things that I've done. Um, because if I thought I was writing a book and I was writing about me, then I just would just stop. But it's a seeking to serve him and getting some feedback from church, family and encouragement to sort of know you could do something that would be useful for people. So, so doing it because it's for him has actually given me the confidence, well, the perseverance to actually sit down and, and do something like write a book for the sake of others so that they can come to know Christ. But if I was writing a book because I thought I wanted to be a writer um, and it was about me, then I, I, yeah, I... Yeah, I needed a lot of persuading to think that I could actually even begin to think about writing. Um, but when you sort of think, no, it's for Jesus and it's for him, then it gives you confidence to do it. And, and that is so important, that it's it's not about me, it's about him. And that's given me the confidence to to teach. And it's what I always say to myself whenever I am going to teach, you know, it's, it's not about you, Karen, it's all about Jesus. And he's the one that matters. And um, I can trust myself to him and pray that he will use what, a, what I do somehow um, and then leave it in his hands. So that gives me the confidence to serve, um, having my identity in him. There's a Proclaimers song, um, which I only heard recently. It came out a while ago. Um, proclaimers, a very has-been banned, uh, probably I know, but um anyway, um, famous for sunshine on leaf. They wrote a song called uh, The More I Believe, and they have this lyric um, The Less I Believe in Me, the More I Believe in Thee. And it's kind of the, yeah, it's the opposite of all that self-esteem stuff that we that we're taught that you have to believe in yourself in order to achieve anything. And I think it's exactly the opposite. The more we know our God, our creator, infinite God, and that we have a relationship with him, that he, he has a relationship with us. We're secure in him. Then, yeah, then that gives us confidence. But if we look at ourselves, then, yeah, we then don't have any confidence at all. Um, it's, it's a struggle. So yes, the Watson Proclaimers line, it's the more I believe in, the less I believe in me. But I would say the more I believe in thee, the more I am able to feel that security that, um, that I know so many people lack. And that's sad, isn't it? Because in Christ, we have incredible security we're loved and well in christ we're at home and yeah so we certainly can celebrate and rejoice in our identity in christ
0: We've heard the phrase identity in Christ and we know that that is something that is good and that we should be grateful for and that it can be good for us. But as as much as it rolls off the tongue, I know from a personal experience of yesterday having spectacularly forgotten someone's birthday and having missed the post was just feeling so deflated and I, I knew on paper. Mm there it is, my identity mm. in Christ. It's knowing what other people think about me or whether I'm able to communicate my actual love through sending a birthday card that reaches them on time. But it, it just, it, it, does, it feels like there's a gap between what I'm thinking and then when something happens, be it as small or as big as missing a birthday, but then it, it doesn't yeah. feel like it. Yeah,
2: isn't that interesting? And it really is, illustrates the problem well, I, I think, because we, we um, harbour this fantasy as Christians that we just need to, tell somebody something and they go away and do it and change happens you know so you know you just need to believe Rachel your, your identity is in Christ that that that's what you've got to do and you say amen and go away but as you say uh, that there's there's almost like this elephant inside us which or or, or as others will say like a chimp uh, that 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 says yeah, but but I don't believe that. You know, I, I, what do you think of me? I, I'm gonna they're gonna think I'm awful, um, and so we 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 think that if we simply tell, let's go back to the elephant metaphor. Um, I, I often think of the human being as a as as a big elephant with a little man on top. You know, you see someone with a a, a little man with a stick on top of an elephant. And the little man you can think of as our the world of our intellect and reason and, and the world of, of our cognition in, in the sense of intellect, the world of ideas and words. The elephant is this big, deeper, partly subconscious world of feelings and intuition and instinctive responses and gut reactions, you know. So um, the, the problem is when we listen to, you know, my identity in Christ, someone says, or we listen to a sermon and we analyse it and we take notes and we say, thank you, that was very clear. You know, we love clarity because we can get things. That's the little man on top. He likes things to be clear and it makes him feel good because it's logical and it appeals to the left side of the brain. You know, the elephant underneath is listening to the same sermon and he's looking at, at the preacher and he's thinking, but I don't like you. You know, the way you say that. You remind me of my father. That, that bossy way with your hands and that funny little intonation with your voice that always goes up at the end of sentences. I don't like that. I really don't like it. So you, you can process stuff. At, at an intellectual level, but we've got to pay attention to the elephant as well. And we've got to win our hearts as well as convince our minds. And that's a longer, slower journey. And I, I think our identity in, in Christ, perhaps more than anything else, illustrates how hard that is and what a long, slow journey it is. Because someone tells you my identity in Christ, we say, yes, thank you very much, but the elephant underneath is his whole world of reaction is built around a different script, which is my identity is found in living up to people's expectations. Or my identity is that somebody like me from my background doesn't really fit here. So I need to keep my mouth shut, you know, whatever, whatever my identity. And those are powerfully entrenched feelings that are going to take time. and. Uh, I, I think in our, in our spiritual development, this, this question of our Christian formation, if we limit our Christian formation to con- just telling each other every week what the gospel is, Jesus died on a cross for me, that is wonderful. We must every week. But if we limit ourselves to that and we don't then move on to the next stage, but what is the gospel for what, what does it want to do in my heart? And how is it going to do that? Partly, yes, there's no substitute for logic and reason and the life of the mind, but we also need to think about habits and good practices and kindling our imagination and looking for God and sensing God in beauty and goodness of the world you know, as well as the truth of, of the gospel. And these are ways in which we win around the elephant, and over time we begin to reshape some of those stories inside ourselves. And of course, part of that too comes in dialogue with another Christian, as they say, hey, you know, you always have that, you always got permanently worried, you know, that, that kind of worried forehead frown that you you have. And I just wonder, you seem to really worry about what people think of you. So there's the story behind that. And that gives an opportunity to tell our story and explore some of this um, in in pastoral heart development. And I think that's such an important part of our formation, really. um,
0: Yeah. I think that's huge stories are ah so forgotten, but Jesus
2: thought they were a, yeah. a good idea, yeah, stories are a good way of winning the elephant you, you know because because the elephant likes stories it, it, he 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 empathizes with the person in the story and you've got him on board now, and so the chances of the elephant and the little man on top working together it, our desires falling into line with what we want with our mind is that much better when when it's done through a story that engages the elephant rather than a list of facts. So the problem with, go back to my identity in Christ, the problem with that is it's presented often as a fact, you see, for you to just, so you just repeat the words. But I I often, when I hear people say that, I say, my identity in Christ, okay, so just help me. What then is my identity in Christ? (laughs) <laughs> Do you see what I mean? My identity Christ, but but what is it then and, and people we don't go on to flesh out the, the next bit, which is well, my identity crisis is that I am a child of God, and that as as, as, as the New Testament says, um, even more important than that I know God is that He knows me and I am deeply loved and wanted and held by my father God. Now now you see the elephant's pricking up his ears. This is interesting because a big part of him feels orphaned, as we all, there's a part of us all that feels orphaned, isn't there? And he's kind of a child. He he's, he's now got a picture of a child holding a father's hand. He's got a picture of a, a father and a mother, their, their love. Um, he's got a picture of an orphan, a refugee, someone who's just crossed into Poland, you know, being a child, being being taken in someone's home. He says, "This is what it means to be a, a child of God." Okay, now I'm I'm now I've got something for my imagination to work on. But if we limit our spiritual formation, to just going with our notebook and getting facts and seeking clarity and lists, that that don't listen to me. That is really important. But the next bit isn't just to, to to know the facts, it's to inhabit the world that they describe and that they point us to. And I, I think that's the big journey of formation that takes place. And I think as you're rightly saying, um, Rachel, that it takes time because the defaults are, you forgot your friend's birthday, that makes you a bad person, a wicked, unwanted person who will be disowned from now on by everybody you know because they see how awful you are. You know what I mean? This is the elephant and he taps in some old scripts there uh, as well as as that that, that are buried from the past. Whereas in fact, what the gospel, I think, points us to do is to say, um, I'm deeply loved and all of my sense of Dignity as a human being is grounded in the unconditional love of God. Uh, And that means that as I embark on the journey of, of restoration of his beautiful image in me, there's a lot of work to be done. And there are some things I'm good at and there are some things I'm bad at. And I'm really good at some things, you know, doing podcasts doing interviews, so stimulating people's minds. You know, I've got real strengths in there and I'm not gonna pretend they're not my strengths. No, they are my strengths because under God, I'm the person he's called me to be. And that is a wonderful part of the beauty of my, of, of who I am. Uh, but I also have these bits of me that don't work so well at times. And sometimes I forget, you know, or or whatever. Uh, and so you 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 now nest those strengths and weaknesses in something deeper something on which they rest so you say i i, I may be a very very good footballer but that doesn't make me a more important person uh, i i i may have a bad memory for sometimes for people uh you, you know uh, that doesn't make me a less important person than them actually i'm still loved but it 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 does give me a the fact that I'm loved just give me a basis for thinking now how can I work on this how can i how can I turn this lose into a well what I call a a lose win you know we we say not 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 now i'm going to punish myself, but what how, what can I learn what what good can I bring from this bad from this failure so you turn it because that's the journey you're on now you're in a journey a process of formation and uh, i think i think that's a wonderful gift of the gospel really
0: and something i feel that's been drawn out from what you've said is that if we if we want to be kind of is it grateful for my identity in Christ kind of really actually how Mm -hmm. and it's ah that there's a key there in that there's there's feeling it and there's knowing it and there's those two things coming together I feel in, in that it's understanding if I've understood you correctly that if we are more deeply aware of our identity in Christ then we'll more naturally be more grateful for it because we've embodied it and we therefore are thinking about being a child of God and what a privilege that is and and how wonderful that really is and so you can't put the cart before the horse but if the horse and cart are in the in the right motion then we will be grateful for identity
2: in Christ. That's uh that's really yeah absolutely um it, it, it it could be a cart horse it could just be a kind of a circle where the one feeds the other and then the other feeds back to the one, you, you know? Um, and I, I, I think gratitude actually has the same problem for us. We think, we listen to a, a talk, I need to be great, more grateful. Look how grateful Paul was, every letter he starts with. So I need to be like that, we come out. Uh, then we're having our Sunday lunch, and we've moved on to talking about how the sermon actually—it was good. Said some good things, but it's too long, as always. It's always too long, and we very quickly slip into rating the preacher and forgetting mm. the message. You know. Yes, roast and... preacher served up. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and and again, just telling each other things isn't—it's it, an important part of formation because repetition is a great way of learning. And that's why hearing the same things at church as the word is opened up week by week is so important, repetition, but we do have to inhabit it. And that, that means the, the life of the imagination and reflection. We're not very good at this as evangelicals. And the danger with the whole emphasis on gratitude is we think, yeah, I've got to be more grateful. Now, what have I got to be more grateful about? And we make a list, you know, Actually, real gratitude, it's no use just making this. What you've got to do, learn to, if you want to be a grateful person, is you've got to learn to savor the world, to slow down. In fact, grat- real gratitude makes you slow down and look around and think, you know, this is a beautiful room I've been blessed with. You know, uh, why? I was looking again in a state agent yesterday, we think to ourselves, I'm never. If I just slow down now, look at this room, not another room I might have and um, but this room it there's some re- I've made some beautiful changes here, and I'm so grateful for that picture that somebody sent me or for that flower, my husband uh, um, the plant he he put there or or whatever you you know so real gratitude actually can only grow out of slowing down and smelling the coffee, not just swigging it down and thinking, I need to wake up, you know? You smell the coffee, you slow down. And now as you begin to savour the world, you you then can think, gosh, I am so blessed. Thank you, Lord. And then you look around at something else, you know? So gratitude, I, I think, forces you into the life of reflection and imagination. And you need that life to develop your sense of identity in Christ as someone loved by God. And we hate this as evangelicals. You know, we, we're activists. We, we, want our, we want to click through our list of people to pray for, and just to slow down, look around and thank God for, for that chair that I've had for 40 years now. And it, it, I think of all the people <laughs> who've sat there you know, sort of thing, um, then then that is, that f- gratitude forces us into self-reflection and, and that is a wonderful opportunity to think more about what it means to be loved, to be loved by God. <laughs>
0: We are out of time here. There is some amazing conversations had. I have so much that I'm still thinking on from what we've covered today. Jam, how was that for you?
1: It was great. We took a bit longer this time than we normally do. And you didn't cut uh, as much as we normally do because it was all linked and really interesting. At one point, I was thinking how brilliant it would be to talk about that essentially the Disney Pixar way of talking, which is you can be anything you want to be. And that just places an absolutely impossible burden on every single one of us. And if we're teaching a generation of kids to do that, we shouldn't be surprised that we've got a generation coming through that are confused and anxious about their identity. But actually the ending really landed it nicely about being grateful means you slow down and you look around and... Some of us are quite tick-boxy people. I've literally got a list of things to do on my on my right-hand side here, just by my laptop, once we've stopped Brilliant. recording this. Tick, <laughs> tick, 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 tick. What am I giving thanks for? Tick, 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 tick. Done. Right, what's the next thing? Just slow down, look around, smell the roses, smell the coffee, um, and you know take a moment and i think that's not something that comes naturally to us so that was a really unexpected bit of application from this whole discussion about identity what what leapt out for you in in your memory of it as it were
0: yes it's been a really interesting one i feel the lord has very graciously used it as a timely piece of something to meditate on and i keep hearing new things as i've been listening to this a lot as we've been putting it together and i think i've been struck by the, the working through with that conversation with Glynn on what happens when you forget uh someone's birthday because guess what? I did it again.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> I am that terrible person. Okay. I
0: literally so uh there is yes, there is a, a grandmother that is not getting her birthday card on time. To genuinely take what Glynn has helped unfold and try to apply that personally has been good. Also that phrase he said about how am I doing? How am I doing? Mm has been ringing my ears as I feel you know for those of us on social media it does feel like that is a constant battle uh, and thinking about creating things for an audience of one and just going over those truths and speaking them to each other in in a conversational way that keeps it from being just a phrase that rolls off the tongue and actually something that I'm seeking to deeper and more meaningfully embody which I think I think I have made progress on since the beginning of this podcast series so praise the Lord for that.
1: Going back to the audience of one listener, that one isn't necessarily you. I think Rachel's referring to Jesus, but uh, there are hundreds of you listening, but it would be great if there were thousands... So, um, well, at least we think so. So why not uh, send this episode to a friend to think about and then have a chat about it um, because I think this is a really good one to, to think about and reflect on. So uh, that would be an idea. Send it to them maybe via email rather than social media since we're trying to dial down that a bit as well. So uh, that would be my hot tip. And also, if you want to slow down, look around, give thanks, there is no better place to do that than the Lake Districts especially over the summer when the Keswick Convention is actually meeting in person. So it would be great to see you there. Rachel and I will be there for the third week of that. It would be lovely to see you there.
0: It would be a joy. Thank you again for listening. It has been our privilege. Thank you so much. And we'll speak to you next time. Bye bye. Bye.